This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. And good afternoon. Welcome on this Thursday, 22nd day of February, 2024. Sandy Clough, Sean Brotar. I'm in the studio today. Sean and the great Danny Bailey, our executive producer, who is being uh, spelled today by Gordon Bartolick. We're happy to have Gordon with us on the program today. They're out at number 38 for an avalanche watch party as the Avs get set in roughly an hour to take on the Detroit Red Wings. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe we have Sean Rotar on the line with us from number 38. Avs Red Wings aren't quite what they used to be in terms of rivalry, Sean, but I imagine uh, you'll have a pretty healthy crowd tonight at number 38. Well, Sandy, you're right. I mean, obviously there there is still passion in that rivalry. There are a lot of fans with a lot of a background and history thinking of those great rivalries of all those years when these teams were both uh, basically trading the Stanley cup back and forth. It seemed for multiple years in a row, but yeah, we'll be out at uh, number 38 here, 3560 chestnut in Rhino uh, for Westford's best of Denver last year for the best indoor outdoor venue, the best bar for watching games. I'm looking right now at their outdoor setup with basically a jumbotron. Yes. They're getting the pregame ready for the abs and red wings. And you know what? It's, it's obviously a little bit cool, but there's no wind. The sun is shining, feels nice outside. And of course we'll have the indoor venue as well with all the Colorado products they put together here at number 38. It's a terrific location. Really excited to be here tonight. Well, uh, we're excited uh, to have you out there and I'm sure the fans are too. Uh, you and uh, Danny uh, setting things up and uh, I'm, Looking at this game, particularly considering the recent road performances the Avalanche have turned in since the All-Star break, as as a fairly consequential game. Because if I'm not mistaken, after tonight, 14 of the remaining Avalanche 24 games will be played at Ball Arena. And that's obviously to their advantage. You know, you've brought that up before, Sandy, when you're talking about the Avalanche at home. They're phenomenal, as good as there is in the NHL. On the road, they've been, quite frankly, pedestrian. They've had issues getting the power play going. That's been an issue home and road. But on the road where the margins are a little bit slimmer, that's been more of a problem. So the Avalanche need to be able to continue improving in that regard. But some of the things that we saw in that win over Vancouver, I think, are promising. You talk about the increased a play of Zach Parise, who has been a more or less seamless fit for the abs. And then, of course, you know, don't want to count on it. You want to have it tonight. But Blair Nutrushkin should be coming back in a reasonably short order as well. At least that's the presumption. Logan O'Connor could be joining the team soon as well. So the abs playing as well as they have at least all year in that win over Vancouver just stand at this point to get reinforced by players that have been gone or injured. The question now is, over the next couple of weeks until the NHL trade deadline on March 8th, how aggressive will they be, and what will they be looking for? Absolutely, and uh, every game is kind of a referendum uh, on uh, uh, the goaltending situation, the need for a second-line center. Uh, The guy who is not necessarily slotted in as the second-line center the other night, uh, Ryan Johansson, did score his first two goals of 2024 against yeah, the Vancouver Canucks. So maybe there's a little bit, I much too soon to call it a revival for uh, Ryan Johansson, as I think there has been recently for Bo Byram on defense, but uh, encouraging signs nonetheless. 
uh, I, I was just trying to recall. I believe it was earlier this year. Didn't the Avalanche early in the season set a regular season record for consecutive road wins with 15? That seemed like it happened back 20, 30 years ago now. So you mentioned it. You're right. I'm trying to think you're right. That was this year. I mean, it, <laughs> that it, it was this been, year, yeah, right? That's remarkable. <laughs> and it does feel like they've been very, very different since then. You know, the last road trip was not disastrous, but it was uh, disastrous adjacent. I mean, not anything that the Avalanche wanted. And, and you talk about Johansson. Yeah, a little bit of puck luck in the two goals that he had. But, you know, the point is there. You keep firing and you let your team go ahead and do the rest. You never know where you're going to get a lucky bounce. You never know if you have a guy that's just in close that might be able to tip it. There's all those options. But when you talk about Johansson, I think it's notable that head coach Jared Bednar talked about how Johansson's energy level, compete level, went up. He made sure yeah. to point that out specifically. Yeah. And Johansson himself confirmed essentially that. And that's obviously a good sign. But Bo Byram has really been the, the X factor for this team, and he's going to continue to be. If he continues to play like he has played in the last couple of weeks, like the player we saw a couple of years ago in the Av Stanley Cup run, the, the Avalanche's offense goes from uh, good to great, and the Avalanche's defense very much does the same. And that's probably the biggest and most important factor, given the fact that we know that Alexander Georgiev is having to carry a heavy load this season, and at least at this stage, we talked about that trade deadline, there doesn't appear to be any help on the immediate horizon. It is approaching, though. Uh, March 8th is not all that far away, right? A couple weeks. Uh, and you're looking at uh, maybe an opportunity for the Avalanche to add on, although I'm, I'm looking around, and I, I know there are differing opinions on how active teams will be at the deadline. Some say it'll be a wild day, and others say it'll be a very quiet day day uh, i think the avalanche have to come in somewhere in between completely silent and creating an uproar there, there isn't going to be a blockbuster avalanche deal at the deadline you wouldn't think anyway well no i mean the salary cap situation kind of dictates that there's only so much they can really add unless they wanted to send a player out that has significant value and a right. byron is one of those guys but i don't think the abs are looking to go get a star I don't think they're opposed to it if something falls into their lap, but I don't think anyone goes into the trade deadline with a plan saying maybe oh, something no. great will fall into your lap. No. You're looking for a complimentary piece, probably as a second-line center, certainly as a backup goaltender. My concern for the Avalanche is I don't see how they can realistically get both of those by the trade deadline, and they will right. have to decide, as you said earlier in this segment here, the referendum on the Avalanche as they are currently comprised over the next couple of weeks which becomes the largest priority, yes. which becomes the, yes. the thing they have to pursue. And we don't know yet. And, uh, of course, we love Georgiev the other night, but part of the reason that I think Georgiev would be the first, at least one of the first to acknowledge this, he only faced 25 shots. Now, the quality of those shots, especially in the third period, was quite high. There are a number of grade-A chances, power play chances, uh, along the way for the Canucks in that third period, but the fact that he wasn't in a shooting gallery, which has not always been the case, especially on the road this year, and faced only 25 shots, I think that kind of workload and making a certain number of big saves when he has to, uh, that's well within his range of capability, wouldn't you say? 
I think so, and I think that's really the key for the Avs because no matter who they get as a backup, with this few games remaining in the season, it's not as if the backup is going to be playing 50 60% of the remaining games. Oh, so of course not. The, the, the point is with your give, you're going to have to limit – the shots and the avalanche are capable of that. We've seen yeah. them do it, but they have gotten a little bit, uh, a little bit. And I, you know, I hate, hate to use the term lazy, but I don't have a better one at the moment because at times they. I'll give you another like L word. Skating on defense. Loose. Loose. <laughs> that that's <laughs> maybe a yeah. little less pejorative than, Loose, uh, than, than lazy, but yes, right. lackadaisical might be the perfect word that uh, bridges the gap between uh, uh, loose and lazy. Uh, lackadaisical sounds uh, about right. Hey, I want to get your thoughts uh, before we let you go on what took place last night uh, at the pit, uh, CSU and New Mexico playing a game that, uh, to me, New Mexico should be ranked in the top 25. I've seen New Mexico a few times this year. They're very good. Uh, CSU, in fact, is ranked 22nd in the country. And frankly, I'm going to, get carried away here, but I thought it was one of the best 10 or 15 college basketball games I've watched this year from start to finish. Uh, CU, uh, I'm sorry, CSU got off to a slow start in the first half and in the second half, but came on strong to tie the game at halftime and had two leads in the final minute, couldn't quite pull out the game. But if ever there is a good loss at this time of year, I can't imagine, can you, CSU losing much ground uh, in the standings, in the rankings, in the bracketology uh, projections that are made for the NCAA basketball tournament. I can't believe losing at the pit to a very good New Mexico team on a very good night, 68-66, to can hurt them that much. No, and especially when you talk about the way the, the game finished, too, you know, the, the, the last moment possession there and that the great drive late it's it's everyone knows that's a tough place to play i agree with you i think new mexico is a top 25 caliber team that that loss i think that close loss loses them nothing in fact as odd as it sounds it might even burnish their resume a little bit because i think the observers around the country understand new mexico is good that new mexico is a tough place to play that this was an entertaining game that got a lot of eyeballs that either team could have won or lost it and I think all it does for the Rams is let them stack up their next game. They go get a win in their next game. And all of a sudden, that, that loss not only means nothing, but it, I think you look at their whole body of work and people will look at the Rams' season and say, this has been a team that's been in and out of the top 25. They've held their own with top 25 teams when they have it out and beaten them, and they belong. So I think when you're talking about last night's game, uh, there are worse things to do than lose in one of the legendarily difficult yeah, places yeah. to play yeah. on more or less a last moment shot. Uh, uh, well, that's exactly right. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, it was so I, I could understand Nico Medved's frustration, the head coach at Colorado State, because you you go ahead at the free throw line and they shot their fouls very well down the stretch. They made all their big free throws. Isaiah Stevens was tremendous in the game: twenty points, five rebounds, nine assists, a steal, a block. You know, he did have five turnovers, but he wasn't turning the ball over at the end of the game. The final five or six minutes, he was the best player on the floor. I can understand the frustration, though, of Nico Medved, because in that situation, there are two things you don't want to do. Give up a layup or foul. And they did both. <laughs> so I can yeah. understand his, his frustration at the way the game ended. But 
I thought their resilience, the poise they showed when they were down 10 points in the second half and came back, not to mention being down 15-3 to at the outset of the game and tying the game at halftime at 30-30. I, I was impressed by the way they handled themselves. And listen, number 22 CSU lost last night. Hey, so did number 17 Kentucky to a team not nearly as good as New Mexico. So did number 16 Dayton to a team not nearly as good as New Mexico. Uh, number 24, Florida lost, uh, yes, to another ranked team in Alabama. But number 12, Illinois lost to Penn State. And I know Penn State isn't even in the same universe with New Mexico as a quality basketball team. Yeah, so I mean, a bunch of, a of parody, ranked teams right? lost. I mean, yeah. yeah. That's the trick. There's so much parity in, in college basketball. I think you, that the point is to be in the mix late and then go ahead and go on a run and that really appears to be the way it's going to work for virtually any team this season i think the rams are part of that mix so as long as they execute down the stretch they get the wins they need to get i think they're going to get their opportunity and the beauty of college basketball as compared to college football is the polls only mean so much in the end you actually get to go play it you get into the tournament and you can beat whoever you beat and there's no voters there's none of that perception you get a chance to just decide it on the court and the Rams have put themselves in an outstanding position to do that. We'll be talking to CU coach Tad Boyle here in about uh, 15, 20 minutes or so. And I, I'm i going to ask him the first question that, that occurs to me, and uh, maybe you can help me out with this if something else occurs to you, but right out of the box, as to whether the win at USC on Saturday night was merely a reprieve or could it be a springboard game for the University of Colorado, because I, I think there's no doubt that if they had lost that game, barring a miraculous run in the conference tournament, they were dead in the water as far as NCAA participation this year uh, was concerned. And that would have been a major disappointment to be effectively eliminated from the NCAA tournament with weeks left in the season. Right. I mean, that ended up being really a make-or-break game. And, and you're right. I don't know if it's, if it's going to be a sort of a, a revival of sorts or whether right. it's going to be something to build upon. But I know that Ted Boyle is going to tell you that it better be. Because yeah. that's <laughs> the point of the season, right? I mean, if it's not, then they're not going to be playing for much longer. They have to find a way to start banking some wins, and they've got to do it now. On the bright side, their schedule stacks up very favorably for Three them to games go ahead and home. make that run. Right. And, and as they continue to go along and grow – Obviously, you're getting the growing pains with Cody Williams here and there. But as the season has gone along, that is especially that big trio of K.J. Simpson, Tristan De Silva, Cody Williams, they have continued to get a little bit better together all the time. I think there's reason to believe that they could go on a run and make that big tournament. And then, you know, who knows? We'll find out. But the eyeballs will be on them because Cody Williams is a potential top five draft pick is one of the reasons that the Buffs are on national TV so many times. They have been already, and they will be going down the stretch as well. So they have an opportunity for people who don't normally watch Colorado basketball to go ahead and take a look at that program as it continues to grow under Tad Boyle. Delighted you get to talk to him later today. Well, we talked to him back in December, and uh, quite a bit has happened uh, since over the past uh, two and a half months, maybe even a little more time than that between conversations with uh, Tad Boyle. I just wanted to ask you, though, about K.J. Simpson because, I listen, numbers are numbers, and they only tell you so much. But K.J. Simpson's numbers uh, on the offensive end of the floor and even in terms of rebounding uh, are 
amazing. And we were picking all NBA teams yesterday, all-time all-NBA teams. I think if you were to put together an all-time CU basketball team, the best five who would meld together as a team, my backcourt would be Chauncey Billups and K.J. Simpson. Wow. I mean, I... I... It's hard to, on the surface at least, sort of dispute that. There has been some some great players in CU history, certainly nothing of the uh, Chauncey Billups level who kind of rises above everyone. But the the argument you make, and I think especially if the Buffs do make the tournament, with I don't think anybody questioning that K.J. Simpson is the best player on the team, uh, it would make a case. And, and I think there is an opportunity for that. So the, the all-around game is valuable. You have an interesting mix of players. We know they're well-coached. This is a team that could have easily won three or four more games this season if yes. they had just played a little more tight down the stretch of games where, where they ended up just letting things go. So I think they're close. They're right there. But the time given to turn it around is over. It has to happen right now. There's no more margin for error. Well, uh, in the history of the Colorado basketball program, Alec Burks averaged 20.9 points per game in 2010-2011. That's the all-time record uh, for points per game scored over a single season. K.J. Simpson is at 19.9. Derek White was at 18.1 in 2017. And Chauncey Billups was at 19.1 in 1997. Now, I know it was a different game then, but Chauncey only shot 41% from the field that year, although his three-point shooting was almost as good as his two-point shooting was. K.J. Simpson this year is shooting almost 49% from the field, 44.5% on threes, and he's one of the best foul shooters in the country at 88.1%. He's also averaging in Pac-12 play 6.5 rebounds per game. That puts him in the top 10 of Pac-12 rebounders. And there isn't anybody other than one player at 6.7 under 6.9 in the top 10. KJ Simpson is six foot two. That's impressive stuff for sure. And so we'll find out what the bus do next. But uh, they've got to bank those wins. But it's they're not they, you're not dead yet. You still have a pulse. No. So go out and get those wins, especially at home, and things turn around quickly because as you pointed out earlier, uh, just a couple minutes ago, teams that are better, teams that are higher ranked, whether that's in conference, whether that's across the nation, they are falling all the time <laughs> yeah. as the NIL world changes the way that recruiting hits, especially the big programs, the Blue Bloods, and the, the, the programs that are just below that, uh, the sort of haves and have-nots, that gap has probably never been closer than it has been this year, and it's going to get closer going forward. So that gives you an option. Just keep winning and see whatever happens around you. But the odds are not everyone ahead of you is going to win. That's just the way this season's gone. Absolutely, no doubt. Enjoy yourself at number 38, and we encourage uh, people uh, who are in the area or even a little ways away, there's still time to uh, get to number 38 by game time at uh, the top of the hour, right? 
Absolutely. You know, you come down to number 38, as I mentioned before, Westward's best at Denver 2023. Best bar for watching games, best indoor-outdoor venue. Big old jumbotron to watch uh, the Avs and Red Wings on. We'll have the I will, I will break down the game with uh, Ryan Bolding of NHL.com. He'll join me. We'll do a podcast afterwards live. People can interact with us at that point as well. We have Mile High Sports gear. Our new Nicole Jokic shirts are there as well because guess what? We don't have our Nuggets party there yet, although, spoiler alert, they're lined up for come for the rest of the season. We'll have Nuggets watch parties here at number 38, too. But the Nuggets also play tonight. They get back underway, and that'll be on here, number 38, as well. Oh, of I course. Expect- that, of course, uh, myself, Danny Bailey, we will probably be well, easily Bailey. persuaded well, to listen, uh, stick around. Ba- Bailey, the rest Bailey of the will be watching the Nuggets. Uh, yeah, man, I mean, this is not nothing against any... the Avs, but Bailey right. is going to be watching the Nuggets from start to finish, whether they're up by 50 points at any point during the game or up by five points with two minutes to go. But talk be about a, a clutch company guy here, Dan, Danny yeah. Bailey, who I have not known to not at least wear one Denver Nuggets right. thing every single day. Never seen him without one. Maybe it's his socks. Maybe it's something else. I'm not even going to check. But with the Colorado Avalanche sweater on today over at number 38 for the Avs watch party. Thanks, Sean. Talk Thank to you soon. You, we'll see you tomorrow uh, for the full two hours, of course. But uh, you can uh, do a meet and greet with uh, Sean Rotar, Danny Bailey, and uh, the fans staff. Ryan Bolding will be out there. Uh, tonight, uh, he and Sean will be uh, focused on the Avs and Red Wings, even as Bailey is watching the Nuggets uh, pound the Wizards. And I'm presuming that will be the case. Uh, this is Sandy and Sean, of course, on Mile High Sports Radio, 98.1 FM, 107.5 HD3, milehighsports.com slash watch if you want to view the proceedings, or milehighsports.com slash listen if that is your preference, Mile High Sports app is also available to you. And, of course, our executive producer, the great Danny Bailey, uh, Gordon Bartolick sitting in today, normally uh, confined to the morning program, but now opening his horizons by joining us uh, here in the afternoon. Colorado head coach Tad Boyle, in his 14th year, will be going after his career win number 346 and his 290th win at CU on Saturday night game time I believe is 7 p.m. as the Buffs take on Utah in what again is another in a series of must-win games down the stretch for the University of Colorado we'll visit with Tad Boyle next right here on Mile High Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy.
Indeed, Sandy Clef, Sean Rotar, and of course, uh, Sean is out, as uh, you just learned, at number 38 at our uh, Avalanche watch party tonight as the Avs take on the Detroit Red Wings back in Detroit. Not quite the feverish anticipation of Avs Red Wings that there was uh, maybe 20 uh, years ago, 25, certainly uh, almost 30 years ago when the Avs moved to Colorado and immediately uh, assumed a rivalry with the Red Wings for the 1995-96 season, met in the conference finals, and that seemed to be almost an annual occurrence at some point during the playoffs with the Avs and Red Wings. Uh, Red Wings are right now a playoff team in the East, and of course the Avs are trying to solidify their position in the Western Conference playoffs over the last, uh, actually a little less than a third of the season. We are joined now by one of my favorite people, Tad Boyle, the head coach at the University of Colorado, going through his 14th season now with five prior NCAA tournament appearances in the previous 13 years. And uh, the Buffs are uh, making way for the home stretch now. And um, I I, want to start, Coach, with this uh, observation. Um, I saw you jump not once but twice into the air raising both fists as the game ended tonight uh, on Saturday night. Ellis missed that three-pointer at the final horn. And uh, I'm old enough to have seen you play in high school. I had no idea you could jump that high. (laughs) Well, I tell people, Sandy, I think I might have been able to get over an Estes Park phone book that night. Uh, that's about how high I jumped. It wasn't, it wasn't very high, but I wasn't much of a high flyer when I played. Uh, uh, so you must have selective memory. But, uh, but I was, I'll tell you what, I was I was excited. That was a big that was a big time comeback win, especially after a tough tough heartbreak. Oh sure. Earlier to UCLA, you know, where we came back and and fell a little bit short. And uh, you know, uh, Sandy, you know uh, the guy I played for at Kansas uh, named Larry Brown. Yeah. And the one thing I remember Coach Brown always telling, you know, telling us as players way back in the 80s was, you know, good teams uh, can come back. Uh, great teams know how to come back and win. And, and we played like a great team, at least in the second half there against USC. Boy, so. I, I, I really thought so. And I, I must confess, uh, I, I pull for you guys. Uh, <laughs> and yet with uh, under 10 minutes remaining in the game, uh, in fact, your comeback really started with that Luke O'Brien uh, three-pointer with just over yep. nine minutes to go. You were down by 16 points, and I, I, I wasn't going to turn you off, but I, I, I had kind of lost some hope. But I, I thought what you did on Saturday night was so impressive, uh, and, and the fight that you showed combined with the poise that you played with. I know turnovers have been an issue, and we'll talk about that in a a few minutes, but uh, you were great down the stretch. And my question to you would be, do you view that game now going into the final few games of the regular season as a reprieve or possibly a springboard that could vault you into the NCAA tournament or at least serious contention for the NCAA tournament? Yeah, I'm not, you know, I don't look at all that stuff right now in terms of where we are and I I drive myself crazy. But, uh, you know, and I think the only way we're going to be able to answer that question 
is, you know, uh, after the next five games, as we look backwards, you know, uh, obviously if we don't take care of business on Saturday night against Utah at home, uh, you can't look at that game as a springboard. But if we right. do and we can start stringing some wins together, yeah. which is what you have to do, you know, sure. when you're a team that is not, uh, you know, we've had our we've had our bumps in the road, we've had our hiccups, we've had our uh, all of our margin for error. Sandy is is behind us, yeah, and yeah. and so we we ha- I'm not saying we have to win every game, but we have to play well and we have to you know, uh, win the majority, certainly, of our games down the stretch. And we have to play well in the Pac-12 tournament. So uh, all those things are uh, in front of us, which is good. Uh, we're healthy, yeah. which uh, is, a, is a big thing. This, this team, you know, uh, our depth, we, we've got a lot of youth on our roster, which bodes well for the future. But um, some of that youth is, is uh, it doesn't have the experience we'd like it to have. So, you know, we're, we're playing basically seven guys, maybe eight guys down the stretch here. And uh, for us to be healthy is going to be key. I, and we I, are right now. I, I thought we, we I mentioned Luke O'Brien a minute ago. I thought that was his best game maybe in 2024. Not not so much going back to the beginning of the season, but in calendar year 2024, uh, you know, he hit that three to get you going. He had the dunk uh, that tied the game. A, yep. a gr- great play that you – Drew up, or at least a great set that seemed uh, to leave him open for the dunk, and a great read by by KJ Simpson, obviously. But uh, even in the overtime, I mean, you went small, and that was a gamble that paid off for you. Yeah, and I just felt like you know, with with about nine minutes to go, when we were gonna, we had to make a run. You know, you, you got to be able to make some threes. You yeah. got to be able to scramble around on defense and and switch and and maybe trap a little bit. He did a so, great job on Collier. I he thought. did an unbelievable job. And and Sandy, that this is the thing that I love about college, you know, athletics is is the fact that Luke has been he's been an integral part of this program since he got here. Even though he didn't play a lot as a freshman, he's gotten better every year. Here it is, his senior year. And uh, he he comes off the bench, which you know, uh, for a guy like that to accept that role is. Uh, I've been in Luke's shoes, so I know I know what that's like, and he's done a, a, a great job of it. And then to be ready uh, to perform when his number was called, like it was called, you know, against USC, and to come in and perform like that, he basically played the last uh, you know twenty five minutes of that game. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, and like you said, he did a great job on Collier, yeah. great defensive effort, yeah. made big threes, made, made the, the, the dunk there at the end. So, yeah, he, he, he was an integral part of that win. And to see guys like that when they're ready, because on any given night, it might be, you know, Julian Hammond, it might yeah. be his night on Saturday. You don't, right. don't know. You know, right. KJ's been awful consistent for us. Uh, Cody Williams is getting better and better. Tristan DeSilva, you know, Eddie Lampkin. We, Javon Hadley's been kind of our – our steady Eddie guy all year long. Double but, double but, the other night. Thirteen and yeah. ten rebounds, huh? Thirteen and ten and, and, and so, you know, it takes different guys on different nights to, to be able to perform and, and that's one thing I like about this team is we are balanced and it can be a different guy on different nights and uh but we don't win that game without Luke O'Brien. There's no doubt about it. Right. And uh you know, your your bench I, I thought was a, a a big difference uh the other night. Uh, yeah. in, in in that game that you got something out of your bench and I, I'm looking around you know no college team even the real good ones 
no, no college team plays 10 guys. I mean, in the past, that's been true here and there, but I don't see anybody really playing 10 guys anyway uh, this year. I want to get to the subject of turnovers because I know it's, it's kind of been a sore spot uh, at times, and if there is a bone to pick with Cody Williams' game the other night, it certainly wouldn't be shooting efficiency, even at UCLA. I mean, he, he missed yeah. one half-court shot and one other shot throughout the two games. It shot yeah. something like 13 for 15, whatever it was. But I, I know that the seven turnovers uh, probably uh, weren't what you had in mind when the game began uh, in terms of uh, his playing efficiently. Uh, do you feel that he's now totally healthy and making progress, or there's some areas in which he still has to step up a little bit more? Well, look, I mean, Cody Williams, we can't forget is a freshman. And, you know, the one thing I know about freshmen is they're, they're, they're going to be a little bit more up and down and maybe less consistent than you would expect your juniors and seniors to be. That's just the way it is. And it doesn't matter, you know, how talented that freshman is. And Cody's obviously as talented as they come. Um, nobody would, would be more uh, self-critical uh, of Cody than Cody uh, the other night because he knows he knows the turnovers were not you know not something that uh, are is helping our team and 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 the and the fact of the matter is Sandy it's been different guys on different nights yeah you know with turnovers yeah. there, there's been nights where KJ Simpson's turned it over there's been nights where Eddie Lampkin's turned it over Giovanni you know so nobody's perfect I think it is a team thing that I'm trying to get our whole team to understand even at today's practice. You know, uh, you see turnovers happening at a at a at a clip that is not not acceptable. So, for us to get where we want to get and to uh, uh, finish strong, we've got to do a better job of taking care of the basketball. And that's that that's that's every guy that's on the floor, not just Cody Williams. He's you know, like you said, he's thirteen for fifteen from the field yeah. for the weekend. Yeah. You know, that's as efficient as you're going to get, um, from, especially from a freshman. But uh, but no, we we got to get better and taking care of the ball. There's no doubt. And when watching your team, I I know you want to push the pace when you can. Yes. So it is yes. a fine line because sometimes when you push the pace, uh, guys will get a little wild and uh, out of control and make mistakes that at a slower pace they might not make. So it, you want the pace, but you don't want 15 turnovers again. No question. I mean, our goal, our game goal, every game is 11 or less. Yeah. And I think we've hit it like maybe two or three times all year. So yeah. um, it has been an issue. There's no doubt about it. But I'll, I'll say this, Sandy. You know, I, I'm I'm a basketball junkie this time of year. And I stayed up last night, watched the Colorado State, New Mexico sure. game. Sure. Great game. And great game. A great game. And New Mexico plays, you know, they play in the pit. They play at altitude yeah. just like we do. They play a fast pace. Yep. They, they turned the ball over four times. I know. Colorado State I, last night. And, and they've. So it can be done. It's not like you. It's it's not either or. Oh, you have to yeah. slow it down and, yeah. and be deliberate to take care of the ball. Um, certainly, that's one way. Maybe you can do it, but you can also play fast and, and and make good decisions. And that's what we have to do a better job of is is making making good decisions with the basketball. I liked what you said after the game the other night. That as proud as you were of your team, everyone can play better. And, and that's a, that's a collective and. Uh, 
Uh, there's another coach I'm sure you're aware of that we don't need to <laughs> name who who did name names the other day when he probably should have and has since apologized in fairness to uh, the person we're talking about. But um, I, I think with with your team, it really is a, a collective thing. And on the defensive end of the floor, I, I noticed the, the difference between let's say the last 19 minutes of the game where I think you outscore them 43-24 and then all the time before that when maybe your defensive intensity wasn't at the level you wanted it to be. How can you get that but kind of bottle those last 19 minutes and get your team to play 40 minutes on the defensive end that same way? That, that's a great Number one, great observation. Number two, great question. Uh, and if I had the answer to it, it would have been done <laughs> Saturday night. Um, I, it is something that we talk about. It's something that we show them film on. It's something. And, and look, the fact that we're playing seven guys might be yeah. part of that. Sure. I, I don't sure. I don't know. But, it, but you know, the one thing I don't want our players doing is I don't want them pacing themselves. And, and sometimes when you're playing heavy, heavy minutes, it's just right. human nature to do that. But we, we, again, that's another area along with taking care of the ball where we have to get better. And if, and if we don't, we're going to be faced with, you know, those situations where we either have to come back from a deficit or, or fight a team off at the end. And, and if we learn to play 40 minutes of defensive, highly intense defensive basketball, not that we're going to shut anybody out. Nobody's pitched a shutout in college basketball in the course of time that I'm aware of. So uh, teams are going to score on us, but we got to make, got to make sure they earn everything they get and and it's not a, a result of our uh, lack of intensity or lack of attention to detail well it's all there in front of you you got home games consecutively with utah cal and stanford and then uh, the two-game road set at oregon and at oregon state uh we hope that saturday night started that winning streak i know you've been looking for yep. pretty much all year and you're still in good shape with only nine losses and I, I think probably the, the perception of the Pac-12 hurts you and several other teams maybe in the Pac-12 a little bit because I don't think the Pac-12 is a conference that deserves only two bids. I, 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 the Pac-12 no. may not be quite at its zenith in its uh, final year as a Pac-12 currently constituted, but it's, it's better than a two-bid conference, wouldn't you say? No question about it. I mean, and anybody that knows our league and has seen our league, that, you know, but Sandy, look, I've got good friends of mine who, unlike you, did turn our game off. And they're good friends. <laughs> and they said, forget it. There's 10 minutes to go. I'm going to bed. And, yeah. and uh, so if, if your friends are doing that, what are your enemies doing? And what are the, you know, the general public on the East Coast? Yeah. They're, they're going to sleep. They don't well, they missed. Play. I missed. They they missed a great game. I, I mean, that they was did. a great they rally, did. and I I thought it was one of the best. You know, I've been watching CU basketball for forty five years, and that was about as good uh, a comeback yeah. as I've seen. Congratulations on that, and uh, I'll be up to see you on Saturday night. Go get them. Okay, thank you, Sandy. Appreciate nice coach. You. Appreciate it. That's Tad Boyle. Uh, who is the greatest coach in the history of Colorado basketball? I don't think there's much question of that. He's had some fine coaches over the years, but uh, he's won 289 games in less than 14 full seasons at CU. You do the math. That's more than 20 wins a year uh, and five appearances. Hopefully this year will turn into six, the NCAA basketball tournament and 
you know, I, we, were, we were talking with Sean earlier in the hour about uh, uh, K.J. Simpson, and uh, we were uh, touching on K.J. with uh, Coach Boyle, but uh, didn't get into a lengthy conversation. But uh, it, you're putting together an all-time CU team. Uh, K.J. Simpson and Chauncey Phillips, uh, they, hey, you got Derek White, you got Alec Burks, you got Spencer Dinwiddie, and I know I'm leaving out people uh, who are deserving. Jay Humphreys, uh, certainly uh, deserving of consideration, but on the basis of how he's played this year, uh, what a season it has been for K.J. Simpson. And uh, CU has got all five starters averaging double figures in scoring. Simpson at 19, Da Silva at 16, Williams at 14, uh, Hadley at 11, and Lampkin at 10. Uh, and off the bench, you're getting seven and a half points a game almost from Hammond and six and a half a game from O'Brien. One through seven, CU is plenty good enough to play in the tournament. Now they got to go on the court and, in my view, win at least four of the final five regular season games and maybe get one or two more in the conference tournament. Uh, given what happened a couple of years ago, uh, they probably need to win six out of seven, six out of eight uh, here down the stretch to get into the tournament. I would think 23 wins would get you in. That's usually kind of the line of demarcation. And I can't believe that the Pac-12 only get two bids. Uh, I know the pac 12s down. I think the Mountain West deserves at least six bids <laughs> uh, for how good a league it is. But uh, it isn't three times a better league than the Pac-12 is. Uh, with six teams going from the Mountain West and only two from the Pac-12. That makes no sense to me. Anyway, we'll come back and uh, wrap up the hour. Justin Adams from Channel 4 will join us at the top of the hour at 5 right here on Mile High Sports. Stay with us. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Sandy Clough, Sean Rotar. Sean's out at number 38 at our Avalanche watch party in just a few moments. The Avalanche will be taking on the Detroit Red Wings back in Detroit. And actually, this is as good as both teams have been at the same time in quite a while. Uh, the Red Wings have been down a lot for about a decade. Uh, the Avalanche have been very good for the most part last five, six years or so, apart from Jared Bednar's first year on the bench when they had a, a century-low total of 48 points for the season, uh, the Avs have played well under Jared Bednar. And it's interesting, we touched on at the beginning of the show, that last year the Avalanche were the best road team in the Western Conference and probably 
the second best road team in all of the National Hockey League during the regular season. And you remember that in the playoffs against Seattle, they lost not once, not twice, but three times at home and forced a seventh game only due to their ability to win in Seattle. They won one home game in the playoffs last year. But this year, although they started with three more regular season wins on the road in succession to set an all-time record for consecutive road victories in the regular season with 15, the Avs have been 13-13-4 overall this year on the road, and they've been the best home team in the NHL with only five losses all year, no overtime or shootout losses. Now, that gives you an idea that maybe they've been blown out two or three times, and that would be true. The most memorable home losses of the year uh, were the uh, one to St. Louis uh, back very early in the season in which uh, Jared Bednar, after the game, went off on his team in a way that he has never done previously that I can recall. And then the other game was an 8-4 loss to the Florida Panthers. So uh, losses, to especially to Florida, a very good team. Florida's one of the best uh, three or four teams in the NHL this year uh, so far, and they've been kind of changing places with Boston uh, back east atop the Atlantic Division. Boston's back in first now, but uh, Florida actually has a better winning percentage, 696 to Boston, 693. So losing to Florida wasn't uh, so hard to stomach. It was losing 8-4 to to Florida. But apart from those two games and maybe one other one, at home this year, the Avs have been pretty much immaculate. They've beaten the Vancouver Canucks a couple of times at home. And the Canucks are the only team still in the NHL with as many as 80 points at uh, 37, 15, and 6. But uh, the Avs have knocked them off a couple of times. And Close games, yes, but convincing avalanche victories. Nonetheless, two of their better defensive games against a very high-scoring Vancouver team. Now they go into Detroit tonight, and the Red Wings, uh, believe it or not, though they're in fifth place in that Atlantic division, behind Boston, Florida, Toronto, and Tampa Bay at the moment, uh, they actually have a better point percentage than Tampa Bay does. And even without a better point percentage, their point total of 64 on 29 wins, 20 losses, and six losses in either overtime or the shootout would put them in position to be a playoff qualifier. Um, The three first, second, third-place teams in every division automatically make the playoffs regardless of record. But then you pick the two teams out of the conference with the next best record. So it's conceivable that as many as five teams from one division could make the playoffs. And that's the case at the moment, at least back East with Boston, Florida, Toronto, Tampa Bay, and Detroit all being qualifiers in the Metro, only the Rangers in first place, the Hurricanes in second place, and the Philadelphia Flyers in third place as automatic qualifiers who make the playoffs. New Jersey's got work to do. The Islanders under Patrick Waugh have work to do. Uh, Washington, Pittsburgh, uh, all teams with decent records, but they're trailing Tampa Bay and Detroit uh, in that other division. So as of today, the Red Wings are a playoff team. And the last time, I, I honestly can't remember the last time the Avalanche and Red Wings played 
when both at the time they played would qualify for the playoffs. Uh, it's It's been a long time since uh, the rivalry was as heated uh, as it, it used to be. And there, there have been some games here and there that have uh, uh, piqued interest, but it's hard to sustain a rivalry when the two teams aren't premier teams at the same time. And the Avs have had pretty good success head-to-head down through the years against uh, the Red Wings, and even during the rivalry years. Uh, both teams had their moments. Uh, the Red Wings won more Stanley Cups than the Avs did, 3-2, to two, from 1995 through 2002. But when they met in the playoffs, the Avs had the edge head-to-head in the playoffs against the Detroit Red Wings and actually had a period around 96, 97 or so when they were pretty dominant head-to-head against the Detroit Red Wings. But uh, tonight's a big game uh, mainly because the Avalanche came out of the All-Star break having lost only three games in regulation out of 17 leading up to the break. They open with, after the All-Star break, a six-game road trip, and they go one for them. And actually, the win they had wasn't exactly a dominating performance. I think their best game, at least defensively, was the game they lost at the start of the trip, the first game of the trip, to the Rangers 2-1 in overtime at Madison Square Garden. They played a very good defensive game. Actually had a one nothing lead more than halfway through the third period. Couldn't hold it. Rangers tied the game in regulation, won in overtime. That was acceptable. Uh, the other five games, well, four were awful. Um, and the, the fifth game, the one they won, came in Washington against a Capitals team that doesn't happen to be playing very well at the moment. But the Avs bounced back with a gritty home win against Arizona. Arizona always a team that gives the Avs trouble, even when the Avs are really good. And then maybe their best performance of 2024, uh, the 23-24 season against Vancouver just the other night. So that game will be starting momentarily, and we will be joined shortly by Justin Adams of Channel 4 on a variety of subjects, including Justin's own beloved University of Colorado Buffaloes. That's next. I shot the sheriff, but I swear it was in 